Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We at Veritas are working hard to bring uplifting conversation and faithful Catholic teaching to everyone who can hear us. We're listener supported, and you can help us by going to www.veritascatholic.com. Through this quarantine and time of isolation, social media use has skyrocketed. Today, Bishop Frank will talk about social media, the benefits and the potential dangers from a spiritual perspective. And are our online friends truly our friends? In the second segment, Bishop Frank will talk to us about authentic friendship. Hey all, I'm Steve Lee. I'm very happy to welcome you back to Let Me Be Frank. This show features the Bishop of Bridgeport, Connecticut, Bishop Frank Caggiano. Great to be with you for another week, Excellency. Yeah, definitely, Steve. Thank you. It's always it's great. It's a great gift, a pleasure, and I like our conversations. I must confess, I do yeah. very much. I'm I'm glad you do. <laughs> so, you know, Excellency, we've touched on the topic of social media many times, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, we both agreed that this is a topic that definitely warrants its own segment. So, um, so here it is, and there's so much to uh, said everywhere that about the negative effects of social media and um, being always connected, but it's not all bad. So I just want to make sure we start with some of the good things that social media can do for us, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of good things that connect- connectivity mm-hmm. does for us. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, it's a two-edged sword, which we talked about, I guess, one of our earliest conversations. And the pandemic that continues, unfortunately, in our midst is a perfect example of how social media can be our ally and can be a great tremendous assistance to us in evangelizing. Because consider for a moment, if there were no electronic platform at all, if there were no internet, then we would be completely isolated. And social media as a form of communication within that platform allows almost instantaneous communication and allows an interaction among people that was unknown before. Now, of course, we we could talk about a lot of the liabilities, but it also allows for real conversation if if those who are engaged are disposed. It allows for information to be shared. It allows invitations to be delivered effectively. It allows people to pray, right, in a whole new way. Right that we should be grateful for. But with everything else, there's a great responsibility that's attached to it. And that's where, unfortunately, we're seeing some of the liability, right? Some of the failures, that people are not using it responsibly. It's like alcohol. I've mentioned this to you before. When I was growing up, we had wine at the table. I was young and my father would have us taste it because my father's philosophy was if I hide it, it's going to become an object of desire that you're going to try to find it and drink it without a supervision. Drink it in front of me. Drink it in very small moderation. Get over this mystique of what it is. Mm-hmm. And for years, for years, for years, I didn't, I didn't, I had no desire to. So it's the same thing here in a sense that we need to be upfront, just like we're doing here, talk about it and encourage particularly parents and adults who have children and young people under their care to teach their young people 
how to use it responsibly and effectively, right? But not to run away from it because that's silly, right? You can't escape it. You can't escape it now. Yes. And the kids need to learn as they get older anyway how to manage themselves online. And if they never get it, then suddenly they get it. It's, uh... They fall head over heels and fall into the addiction we don't want them to fall into. Right. Yeah. Because unfortunately, it is addictive. Yeah. And because it's addictive, um, like everything else, like alcohol and so many other things, you need to be able to use it responsibly and in moderation. Right? Right. And as you're saying, that's not just for the kids. That's, you know, adults, we also... Uh, we can develop too much of an attachment to our phones. So, Bishop Frank, how do we know when it's starting to become a problem? And then, you know, if it is, how can we separate ourselves from that social media? Right. Well, okay. That's a very interesting question. And I'm sure our listeners will have many different opinions. So this is just my opinion. It's not necessarily a fact. It's just my experience of using it. I am amazed for example, of what people share in social media about themselves. So you will hear people post, I had scrambled eggs and toast for breakfast. And the first reaction I have is, I don't really care what you have for breakfast, <laughs> right. to be I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's wonderful. But like, I, what do I care what you have for breakfast? <laughs> but but so, so what is my point? My point is, the first question you ask is, what is your starting point? Like, what? why is it that right now you are sharing what you are sharing? What's the purpose of it? What's the hopeful goal in the people that are receiving it? And more importantly, in yourself. Mm-hmm. Because much of our behavior is driven by desire. Hopefully that desire is positive. Sometimes it's not. But if you have the need to tell everyone and of course, this is a little bit facetious, but if you, what you're eating and where you're going and, and what you're thinking randomly all through the day, what need is being fulfilled in you through that medium, which may or may not be appropriate? So in my mind, why you do what you do is critical to, that, to answer that question. Yes. I personally believe that social media should be a moment where we either convey information for the good of our neighbor or we raise a question to ask help from our neighbor. So if I want to share something that happened in my life that is joyful, I want to share it with my neighbor because I want them to be joyful. I want to encourage them, perhaps in a moment of you know, of challenge or discouragement. So, but if I use it as, as an, uh, an occasion for pride or, or, you know, just look at what I have, well, that's not helpful, useful, or the proper, in my opinion, the proper use of the medium. So that's part of where I think it'd be. And then, of course, the frequency is another issue, too, is how often do you feel the need to have to do it? Now, in the diocese, I mean, I'm blessed. Uh, John Grasso, who is the, the diocesan director of social media, John does a phenomenal job 
of keeping myself and the diocese connected in all the different platforms of social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the qua- the qua- the quantity is is appropriate. The quality reflects this desire to be of help to people and give them information that's helpful or to raise a question for which we may need help or some feedback. Um, so it's not frivolous and it's not, I think it's substantial. Yes. So I think John is doing a remarkable job and I think it kind of sets for all of us a similar pattern. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's silly and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the pattern of what you're doing, then you say to yourself, then really, is, is this really worth even the effort? And if I'm doing it a hundred times a day, yeah, then what need is that fulfilling in me that perhaps is not the appropriate way to do that? Right. See, and the other thing too, if I may, is, and I didn't really realize this honestly until just a few years ago when, when, with John's help, I became involved in social media, is the anonymity that those who are actually communicating with you, you know, maybe it's my own naivete, but many times create aliases, so they're not even revealing who they are. And therefore, that anonymity gives them, in some case, a license to say things that they should not be saying in ways that are harmful or disturbing or divisive. And they believe their anonymity gives them cover to say whatever they want, however they want it. Yeah. And that's very destructive, isn't it? It's very, it's poisonous. Poisonous for the person it's directed at, but also for the person who's typing it. Oh, without a doubt, it's sinful. Yeah. Yeah. It's sinful. And you look at social media in the Catholic world, holy mother of the saints, you would think it was the wild, wild west. <laughs> it, I mean, if you presume that all of these people, presuming all these people are trying to be faithful to the Lord, how, how do they have the same Lord? Yeah. Just the way they're treating each other, the things that they say. And, and of course, one of the, I told you the story about the feathers with mama, right? Years yes, ago, right? yes. So it's the same idea here. You know, once you let out a bag of feathers into the wind, you can't take them back. Once your words leave you vocally or in print, you can't take them back. How many reputations are being sullied or ruined because of the things people are saying in social media, which may not be true? Yeah. Or if they are true, the person revealing them does not have the right to share that information necessarily with the public. Yeah. We have this idea that, you know, if I know something, I have to tell everyone about it. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. And to create scandal or to destroy someone's reputation, those are sins. And how do you make up the damage you created by doing that? Yeah, so, so part of this, in my mind, is very, for young people in particular, it's extremely important that we help them to understand that there is a responsibility a custodial ship. You have to be a custodian of your words. Because once you print them and they're out there, you can't take them back. Yeah. And I wonder to myself how many people have had real harm done to them by individuals who have mischaracterized what they said, not given them a chance 
to explain themselves fully, have judged them before they even open their mouths, have misrepresented their positions in the church, or have, or have purposely created the terms of the argument to make them the bad guy. Yep. And when it's done in the name of Jesus, it's, it is an abomination. And unfortunately, that is happening. Yeah. We're all one body of Christ. And, it, and Excellency, the point you just made, it feels like it's happening, it's spreading beyond social media, especially past few weeks. It's, it's in one-to-one conversations, it's in groups, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, it's interesting. We are now, let's see, March to April to May to June to June. So we're basically four full months into the pandemic, more or less little bit more and I think people's frustration level is rising dramatically and I think part of that is simply people have tried to cooperate with everything that's being asked it has been a lot of sacrifice you know I know people who I've kept in contact with who have not seen their grandchildren since the middle of March so we went through Holy Week Easter Mother's Day Father's Day you know Fourth of July basically alone, which is tremendously sacrificial. And then, uh, in part because of all the communication we have, there are those in the world who have flaunted everything that was asked. And unfortunately, in many parts of the country, the pandemic is growing, not diminishing, which is a whole nother question, right? So their frustration is really genuinely there and deep. And therefore, when people get frustrated, they need venues to release the frustrations, like boiling water to cook pasta. You don't take the lid off. The lid is eventually going to come off. So it's the same thing. And therefore, I think to your point, in the last few weeks, you're beginning to see the signs of general frustration. People ordinarily who are very calm will will come and and say or do things and you say, wow, I mm. never thought that person had it in them. Right. But it is, I think, that common frustration and perhaps anxiety too because you can't escape the fact that after four months we were hoping and praying that the country would be in a different place than it is now. Yes. And we're, I think we're fortunate here in Connecticut because I think our situation is one of the best in the country yeah. right now. Yeah. But, but will it stay that way? I, that's, that's the fear. So I think that, I think you're right. So, so the anonymity is a problem. It's, it's ill will is a problem. So it's a device that is going to be divisive. You know, you've heard me say before, um, we are tribal, we are tribalizing in the United States and in the church. Yes. And what I mean by that is we come together with people of like opinions and like desires, and like temperament, and we gang together, and then we become this little tribe that goes off, and rather than seek peace, is going to seek war with any other tribe that's in our way. In this strange idea that you're going to somehow win the war. Well, the only thing it does is kill everybody in the end, in my yeah. humble opinion. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what type of victory that is. Yeah. And if they think they're warriors for Christ, think again. Think again. Because even Nebuchadnezzar served Christ's will. Even Cyrus served God's will, even though they were pagans and blasphemers. In the end, Christ will bring his glory forward, period. Now, we need to cooperate with it, 
but we should never think that it's that its success is dependent on us because that is not the case. Yeah. And there are, anyway. Yeah, and there are always rules of engagement when you're talking and interacting with other people. I want to get back, Excellency, to something that you said uh, just a few minutes ago, because um, with regards to posting to social media, and you know, mm-hmm. this is even setting aside, you know, the the scourge of pornography and all that stuff, but just posting to social media, there's, it's mm-hmm. obvious um, uh, when, when people are trying to project a certain image that might not be themselves, or they're only trying to, you know, make their life look glamorous, for example. But mm-hmm. you, you touched on something, um, you know, this, this feeling that I need to tell everybody what I'm doing at every moment. Mm-hmm. I, I want I want to ask you about um, you know what some of the possible what that might be a symptom of s- spiritually both of those things the the right. projecting image and also right. just you know oversharing. I mean I certainly don't have a complete answer to the question, but what I suspect is that at the center of of that the deep rest, restlessness that God put into the very fabric of human life to lead people to him. That restlessness in the modern world easily leads to a sense of disconnection and loneliness. And when that happens, when it's not put into its religious context, its spiritual context, and we forget that fundamental starting point, then it is that disconnection and that loneliness and that desire to be connected and to be wanted and to be admired and to be loved can lead people to reveal things about themselves that they should not do, say things about themselves that they should not say, particularly in an open forum, forgetting in the moment that, as I've said before, next to God... It is basically eternal once it gets on the internet in some way, shape, or form. As long as it lasts, as long as humanity lasts, the internet is going to remain. And therefore, I think it's just, it's, I find it very heartbreaking. It's very sad sometimes. Now, uh, you know, tell me what your breakfast is. It's not going to make any consequential difference. Right. But some of the things that are being said, some of the photos that are being shared, some of the texting that's going on um, is really in my, and of course some of it unfortunately has crossed crossed my desk for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, It's just very disappointing. It's very sad. It's very heartbreaking to see people almost kind of in desperation trying to reach out for an affection or or an acceptance or an acknowledgement that for some reason doesn't exist in their life. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure the, the uh, revealing everything about yourself at every moment is the right way to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's striking that uh, as connected as everybody is, and you're talking about um, people feeling disconnected because uh, oh. everything's online. Mm-hmm. Have you never, in your experience, Steve, been in a crowded place and felt totally alone? Sure. You know, being an introvert by personality, 
when I go and I go to lots of events with lots of people, yeah. it is work for me to be an extrovert. And I do like people. I certainly do like, I like, and I like being with people, but I like them in quiet venues more than large venues. Mm. I like it where there is more intimate conversation than giving speeches, which is kind of ironic for all the talks I've given. <laughs> it, I, I, I like it in, in a more, what I'm going to consider like a controlled venue. Like dinner, I think is a beautiful occasion yeah. to be with people, friends, acquaintances, and strangers and share life together and and do it in a way where the conversation can be meaningful, it can be private in the true sense of the word, mm -hmm. that is not being posted to the universe. Mm -hmm. So so it, by temperament, I like that very much. But uh, so when, when we talk about this forum, um, and given the fact that it is addictive because it's immediate and it's self-gratifying, then it's a danger for anyone, not just young people, but anyone to misuse or to be misused by it. Yeah. Right. So I wondered to myself, you know, my niece, as you know, has two young children and, and they have little um, 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 uh, tablets. Mm -hmm. And she has restricted their use to, I think it's 45 minutes a day. And they have to spend some of, some of it on educational stuff, and some of it she monitors what they use. But after 45 minutes, you're done. Mm -hmm. And I was there recently, and you know, it, it, it was not received well when they got to the 46th minute. Right. Because they're in the middle of a game, and it just ended. Now, I applaud her, and I think lots of parents do the same thing, which is tremendous. In fact, they just bought the blue light filtering glasses, even though they don't wear glasses, so they wear them now when they're mm -hmm. on them, because that's a whole physiological question that comes up with screen use and this artificial light that's being created. But, but, but my point is, why would adults not do the same thing? Yeah. You know, the average person could be on their phones eight hours a day. Yeah. That's more than you work in the <laughs> office. It's, it's true. I can speak as a parent and having talked to other parents, we're all very concerned about how much screen time our kids are getting. But mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, to me, it's important that even adults, grownups ask themselves, you know, is the phone the first thing I check when I wake up in the morning? Even before I, you know, say hi to my kids or my, you know, husband or wife or my parents, if, if you are a kid. Um, and the other thing you know about what? the... Mm -hmm. No, please, what's the other thing? I was just going to say, the other thing about the phone is that uh, even when it's off, if it's next to you, it's still creating an interior noise. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. I've gotten into the habit. Well, first of all, people text me at the strangest hours. <laughs> uh, it is not unusual that I will get a text because they know I'm an early riser. I will get a text at 4.30 in the morning. And, and a part of me is happy that they're reaching out, particularly if it's a priest. But a part of me says, but, but there, there isn't a sense of a boundary. Yeah. Because I get up 4.30 in the morning because that's my quiet time with the Lord. That's my time to pray, my time to just put my head together before I out, go out into the world. But now the world's suddenly intruding. Right? Right. That's what I mean about the boundaries we as adults create. 
So would you pick up the phone at 4.30 in the morning to call someone unless it was an emergency? Of course not. I hope not. Yeah. Well, why would you text someone at 4.30 <laughs> in the morning then? <laughs> yeah. Do you see my point? So it's, it's almost like, particularly in, in the social media, the way it's kind of evolved, it almost gives license and, and, and access in a way that normal human relationships and all the rules that defined that sort of conversation have now been thrown out the window. Yeah. I just think it's odd. So then before we wrap this segment, then can you help us, Excellency, help direct folks who might find themselves attached or are asking themselves, oh boy, am I too attached? Help, help us direct ourselves away. Okay. All right, so the spiritual principle, all right? We fast from food so that we grow in gratitude for the food that we have, that we offer the, the substitute of the money that was not spent for the poor, and therefore it reorients us to the proper place that food and sustenance has in our life. We do it in Lent, or we do it on the Friday, we, okay. So I would suggest to everyone listening, a good litmus test is to fast from social media. Give yourself a time frame, one day, two days, engage your own reaction. Gauge how many times you go to your phone and stop yourself from checking. Do it for a single day. Gauge your reaction when you do turn it on and you missed messages and you say to yourself, oh, I should, what's your reaction by missing these messages and what they say? So if somebody yeah. shared with you or posted that they had breakfast and they had eggs and toast. Um, what's your reaction about missing that for a day? Right. See, in the end, the fast, I think, is the clearest, quickest indicator of how your phone and all the platforms of social media are not your possession, but they possess you. Yeah. And then, depending on what reaction you do have, then you have to really, if you really think that there is an issue where <laughs> you are addicted, then you do have to seek help, right? To be able to break that addiction and put it back in its proper order. Yeah. And you may also be relieved. I mean, the end is one day without having to answer all this stuff, you may think it's like, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Freedom, Good. leisure, rest, read a book, whatever. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Not at all. Nothing. All right. So we're we're gonna take a break now. Um, When we come back, we are diving into the subject of friendship. (laughs) Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, Excellency, so we talked about one of the things social media does is it increasingly separates us from each other. You know, set aside the fact that you know I have a thousand followers on Instagram and a million friends on Facebook. Those aren't really authentic friendships. 
So mm-hmm. um, I'd love for you to, to tell us, you know, better what an authentic friendship is. Yeah, I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? The more connected we are, the more isolated sometimes we feel. That's what we talked about before. Friendship. You know, there are three types of love. And philia is one of the three. And in the ancient pagan world, it was considered the highest of all love, the most sublime of all love. Um, In Christian anthropology, friendship is one of the categories by which we can understand that which the Father offers us through his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is a absolutely essential question to ask. What really is friendship? Okay, so let's go the old Jesuit way and t- say what it's not. Okay, so friendship is not a proximity of presence. So you hang out with somebody all the time does not necessarily make you friends. It's not an acquaintance. Someone you've gotten to know casually, you kind of like, they kind of like you, you'll recreate together. That could be a friendship. It does not necessarily have to be a friendship. We spoke about this before when the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry uses the word friendship only the night before he dies. Yes. With his apostles. And Anthony DeMello's friendship, the definition of friendship for me makes preeminent sense. A friend is someone who sees you at your ugliest at your most unattractive, who sees your underbelly, who knows your secrets, and still chooses to love you. And by loving you means to do your good for you. So what is a true friend then? What's an authentic friend? It's not necessarily someone you see every day. You honestly perhaps can have a truly authentic friend that you only see a few times a year. But it's someone who has come to know you intimately and in some sense better than you may know yourself. Who chooses to love you, chooses to support you, chooses to accompany you in your life, chooses to tell you the truth when you need to hear it, who will encourage you and laugh with you and cry with you as the occasion requires. As they've come to know you, The more they've come to know you, the more they have chosen to continue to share their life with you, right? To choose to love you. So friendship, true authentic friendship, is determined, in my opinion, is revealed over time. As it endures, as it changes, as it faces challenges. So the scripture says, that to find, to have a friend is a sturdy shelter. He who finds one finds a treasure. I think it's the book of Proverbs. Uh, Absolutely the case. You may have a million acquaintances. If you have three truly authentic friends, you are blessed, blessed, blessed. Yeah. And ideally, anyone who is married... Ideally, his or her spouse is, is really meant to be his or her best friend, right? Choosing to love, 
saying I do every day, over and over again, as you have come to know this person so, di- so intimately, so deeply, perhaps better than they know themselves, and chooses to love them every day. Yeah. That's friendship. Yeah. And that's what the Lord does for us. Yes. <laughs> Amen. So how do we... There's, no, there's not going to be a formula for this answer. Um, there are clearly places where you should not go for this. But mm-hmm. how can we go about finding friends like these? Oh, now that's the question of the ages. I, I am not exactly sure because my experience has been that they have entered my life when I least expected it and have endured in my life uh, because of grace. You know, um, when, this may sound a little bit over the top, but does anybody actually go out and say, all right, the third person I meet today, I'm going to fall in love with and she's going to become my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think that happens that way. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a plan. It's not like an initiative. You discover it, right? Yeah. You discover it. And then when you discover it, you look back and say, wow, I mean, <laughs> uh, you, may not, you may actually have known the person for a long time. And then one day, it's just different. Yeah. So yeah. the same thing with friendship, I think. I think, where do you look? Well, certainly, you need proximity. You need to be able to have the occasion to get to know a person and they to know you. So while social media, as we talked about before, creates the venue to start that process, perhaps, but it can't just stay there, I don't think. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think for yeah. the long term. So there's got to be proximity. There's got to be presence. There's got to be the passage of time. There has to be honesty. There has to be an openness. Um, there has to be trust. That's why the betrayal of a friend is one of the greatest wounds you could experience in life. Yeah. Because as you open yourself up, and you begin to sit, reveal things about yourself, that's a precious gift that you give into someone else's hands. And if it's a true friend, they'll cherish it, they'll honor it, they'll comment on it, and they'll challenge you on it. But they won't necessarily misuse it or reveal it to the world or stab you in the back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe a better way to have phrased my question would have been, because you're right, you don't know where you're going to find your friends, but um, what are specific things, and you start, I think you started to answer this, uh, but what are specific things that we, we can do to cultivate and strengthen right. our friendships to make them? Right. right. Okay. So that's, that. so let's do an analogy then. If you plant a flower in a, a, a seed bed that is arid, it chances are will not grow. If you're looking for friends in all the wrong places, chances are you won't find them. Right. So for example, um, if you're a young adult and a person who is committed to their Catholic faith, and please God, there are many who are listening, and you're looking for true friends 
then you have to ask yourself, where are the gatherings of like-minded people yeah. where I can find someone who values the things I've, uh, that I value because that starts the commonality. Now, truth is, when people are looking for future spouses, that's exactly their thinking. Right? How am I going to find someone that I could give myself to in marriage? To, to, in, in this kind of very strange world we live in, <clears throat> where do I just find a place where I could have a like-minded person to begin even to ask that question? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the same applies to friendship, too. Right. Yeah, so, so the venues are important. Now, do I oppose... No, of course not. Bars and things that you meet people, you socialize. Of course not, because from socializing and acquainting, then some may become friends, right? But, but, um, but you have to be wary, right? You have to keep your eyes clear that acquaintances are great, and they can be a lot of fun, and you can spend time with them and just have a grand old time. But true friends opening your mind and heart to them is not going to be something you're going to do with a lot of people. And to social media's point, people are doing that with those who may not be their friends right. and are being hurt badly by it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, theology on tap through your parish, that's a good way. You get both. You yes. get the bar and the, and the faith. Yeah, yeah. Or Catholic <laughs> underground for those who are Catholic or a bit older. But even parents, I think parents... You know, um, I, I'm not exactly sure for every individual when some of those enduring friendships began. It is not uncommon that they begin even in grammar school, mm. right, or high school. Mm -hmm. And people stay tr true friends mm -hmm. for a lifetime. It may be rarer than it once was, but it still occurs, right? Yeah. So parents... Um, with whom do you want your son and daughter to spend time with? Yes. So in school, they spend time with a thousand kids, which is wonderful. You hang out, go and here, there, and everywhere. Fine. But when you get home, who are those young people that you want to have spend time with your young person? Yeah. And in part because their parents also have the same values and desires. Yeah. Right? They, that these children form together. And, and you, you do that as a community. So that's something to think about too, because yeah. you'll be laying seeds for friendships that may blossom in ways you would not have imagined, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Rod Dreher touches on this uh, idea in uh, the Benedict Option. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, I found um, uh, St. Augustine said that uh, he believed that any true friendship or human love should be rooted in God because um, it's only in him that true love can blossom. So that made me ask, does, does that, can, can we as Catholics then have this kind of authentic, deep friendship with those who don't share a love for Christ? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because of the very grammar of human life. Because of how we are put together in God's image and likeness. Because even if you do not acknowledge that you are in the divine image and likeness. In fact, you are. Because <laughs> that is who you are. Right. That is who we all are. Yes. And so, can you have an authentic... Yes, you, yes, you can. 
And in that friendship, the person who is your friend will come to understand the friendship you have with Jesus Christ. The enduring, divine, please God, everlasting friendship we will have with Jesus Christ. So I think the glue that allows the friendship to occur is just the very grammar of who we are. It's We are made for God, whether a person acknowledges it or not. Yeah. You could be an atheist, but that doesn't mean anything. I, I could also think I'm a tree, and I'm not. The <laughs> bottom line is, and I'm not being facetious, but the truth is, the grammar of the human person is made to be fulfilled in something greater than a human person. Yes. And we call that greater reality God because he's revealed himself, as we believe, in the person of Jesus Christ, personally. So, so I think it is possible. And, yeah. I, and, and in fact, I, I have seen examples of it. Yeah. Right? In, in many cases. Um, if, you're, if you're willing... If you have the courage, if you dare to love, truly love, to will the good of the other, you can be someone's friend. It's the bottom line. Yeah. And, and that As a Christian, we have the language to express it. Yeah. And I guess that love is rooted in God because God is love. It couldn't be there without him. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what Augustine's point really is in the end. And okay. remember, Augustine, uh, uh, this is another show we could do, Extra Ecclesia Nulla Salus. Augustine, in his age, had come to the conviction that the Christian faith was, was effectively preached everywhere. And therefore, if you were not a Christian, you consciously and deliberately rejected faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. We, in our own age, prescinding for whether Augustine was correct or not, in our own age, we can clearly say the Christian faith has not been effectively preached everywhere by the very poor example of Christians themselves. And therefore, those who have not come to faith in part may look upon Christians and say, well, why should I come to faith? Look at the way they act, the way they talk, the way they conduct themselves. I mean, who would want that? Yeah. Very sad commentary. Right. But perhaps friendship could be the bridge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, one other thing I wanted to make sure we spend some time on because it's, um, it's a part of relationships and it's painful. Um, but mm -hmm. you know, the ancient Roman poet... Ovid wrote, as long as you were happy, you counted many friends. As soon as the sky was covered, you found yourself alone. And you mentioned, Excellency, a few minutes ago about betrayal. And that could really be a painful thing for us to go through. Um, Who has not? Yeah. End. If you haven't, you are blessed. But I have. Yeah. You know... There was an incident in the, when I was in the seminary with someone who I thought was a very dear friend and who later on I learned shared things that we had talked about with others that were not meant to be shared. And it wasn't so much that 
what he said was that earth-shattering. The issue was that he did not follow, he didn't keep his word. And to will someone's good, to create that context, there has to be trust. Otherwise you will hold back. You can't reveal your full heart. And then a person can't then truly love you if they don't really know you. So that was a very hard pill for me to swallow. It taught me a profound lesson. And in the end, it wasn't malice. It was mindlessness. It was carelessness. It was almost a form of laziness. And it was just, it was just very, very disappointing. It was very hard. Right? And we've all, now, there's far worse betrayals. Right? We see it in marriage all the time. Sure. Right? Those are deep wounds. The wounds in the family and the wounds among friends who are really kind of an extended family are the hardest wounds to heal in life. Yeah. Because they go that deep into your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously we can't get too deep into it uh, at this point of today's conversation, but just from a, like a 30,000 foot view, you know, how, mm -hmm. can, how do we... How do we work our way through that uh, if we experience that? Well, I confronted him. I let him have it because <laughs> that's my personality. <laughs> and, you know, we went through this whole thing of denial and then uh, uh, qualifications, <coughs> qualifying what happened to admission. And because there was admission, we walked that road of repairing the friendship. Okay. Right? Um, I think uh, no friend is perfect except Jesus. Mm -hmm. So there will be faults and there will be failures. If there's an admission of it and a desire not to repeat it and a willingness um, to own the damage, that's important. Yeah. That actually could strengthen a friendship that would otherwise have fallen apart. But that's no different than marriage. That's no different than any intimate relationship you have with another person. So, um, as painful as it is, it can actually strengthen the friendship. Or it can cause it to diminish, or it could actually cause it to fall apart. Mm -hmm. It's the actions that follow it that make all the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. So, that brings us to uh, another break. Um, when we come back, though, uh, Bishop Frank is going to answer questions from you, our listeners. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we have, um, we have, we have kind of a, a heartfelt question that came in uh, via email this week. It's from Tom in Norwalk, and he wrote, Rioters and politicians have been bringing down statues of prominent figures like Christopher Columbus and St. Junipero Serra, and now they're calling for the destruction of the statue of St. Louis of France. 
Bishop Frank, what are your thoughts on this? Right. We touched upon it last time we gathered together, right? When we spoke about Saint uh, Unipero Serra. Yes. I think certainly that the sin of racism and bigotry that it exists is clear. And the fact that we have a very troubled history as in this country is very clear. And it's also undeniable that there are people, many people who are suffering the effects of that, that have in many ways been institutionalized in, in almost unconscious ways now. So this is a moment of great ferment that can allow significant, lasting, multi-generational change in the country. Having said that, there's much passion and there's much anger. And usually in moments when people are very angry, they do things meant to be provocative that can do damage to that which they want to achieve and to those who, for other reasons, are not guilty of, let's say, for example, sin of racism, but are deeply offended by what happens. Right? So I'm very much of the opinion that this is a moment where we should all stop and take a breath. Yes. And begin to learn the history um, of these saints, like St. Sarah and St. Louis and so many others, um, to be able to understand the historical context in which they live. Because as I said last time, while they are not perfect, okay, they were people of deep faith, who were motivated to do good. Now, we in our own age may choose to do the same desire of good in a different way, mm -hmm. but they are declared saints of the church, and there is a need for the larger society to respect that. Even if they still want to have a rational conversation as looking back into history, knowing what we know now, which they did not know then, what are the things we would not do in our current age? Because that is what we hold ourselves accountable to for the behavior that we are meant to do and give in society. But the one thing I will say, and this may get me into trouble, but I will say this anyway. I think in the conversation, those who are saints, in my mind, are in a different category than those who are politicians or historical figures. Yes. You know, I'm an Italian, I'm an Italian-American, I'm proud of being an Italian-American. Right, Christopher Columbus was a, um, is a controversial figure because his, his journey to what was, I think was supposed to be India and turned out to be what is now the Dominican Republic was partially motivated by profit. It doesn't evacuate the meaning and the significance, tremendous historical significance, and he did some good, great good actually, but... Um, to put him in the same category as St. Louis or St. Or Saint Unipro Serra, in yes. my mind, we're not talking the same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. But even for those figures, we have, to, we have to contextualize the history. Yeah. To try to understand, were they using their best lights and was their behavior that which was the best that they understood given the context in which they lived? Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure um, how that's going to resolve itself. And 
to destroy public property uh, to me makes no sense. Yeah. Um, to deface statues, it, in my mind, does not make sense. If there's a desire to have them eliminated, it should be done in a lawful way, in an yes. orderly way. Yeah. And for the saints in particular, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a very different reality because these individuals did really live to the best of our knowledge, right? In the examinations that were done by the church, which are extraordinarily extensive, yes. they lived heroic lives of holiness and therefore we have to, they may not be perfect. So there's a, a respect should be accorded to them, which I think is of paramount importance yeah. in my mind. Yeah, it's, it's even, you know, if you wanna talk about bringing down a statue of Jefferson Davis, you know, at least do it in the proper manner, follow oh, the right and channels. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and without a doubt, and there is, and that is a, a, a subsection, right? These are politicians who represented the Confederacy, who fought for the Confederacy, yes. who wanted to continue slavery. I absolutely, in my mind, to, to have statues honoring those individuals is so nuanced a position now, yeah. given what we have gone through, that I'm not sure there's any value to do that anymore at all. If there ever was a value, there's certainly not a value now in my mind. Yeah. But it should be done in a way where society says, this we do not wish anymore. Right. And take right. it down that way. But to do it, you know, in a riot, that, that's just, that distracts good people who otherwise would be sympathetic to say, well, am I condoning this sort of behavior? Well, the, the truth is, it's the underlying sin we all need to agree has to be rooted out and all its effects and all of the structures that support it has to be rooted out out of society. The bishops have said it's a life issue. It's fundamental to Catholic faith that everyone is treated with respect and dignity and protected and as an opportunity to live their life, their God-given life. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so that is a moral obligation in faith. Yeah. It's just the means by which you get it done sometimes creates just a, a situation which then becomes all about statues and now we're not talking about racism anymore. <laughs> right, yep. It feels like there's so much um, anger, much of it um, righteous, um, but then there's also uh, another contingent of people who are filled with fear um, to, of speaking out or speaking certain ways. It's, it's just the environment is so difficult to have a dialogue. Yeah, and I think, and all the more reason why, at least in our diocese, we're beginning conversations about race. We're going yes. to have a number of webinars, right? Because it's extremely important that we first take a deep breath and learn, educate ourselves. What is the issue? How deep does it go? Where does it manifest itself? What does the church teach about it? How has it been lived out historically? Because we are the product of our history. Then once people be begin to understand the dimensions of what we're talking about, and they are large dimensions, this sin is deeply rooted. Then we, the next step is, so what do we do about it? Yeah. What do we do about it? And we, we have to do something about it. Because the, the last comment that I'd like to make is this. We are now aware of it in a unique way. And therefore, with that comes responsibility before the Lord. If we were not aware of it as individuals in a society a year ago, 
the same way we are now, there is a moral imperative to do something because the, when we stand before the Lord, He will ask. Once you recognize this, what did you do yeah. to correct it in my name, to my glory? What did you do? Yeah. And what are we going to say? We got distracted with all this other stuff? No, we have to address the issue at hand. Right. Yep. Yep. That was a good question. Uh, if you're listening, keep the questions coming. You can send them into questions at veritascatholic.com. Excellency, thank you for another great week. Yeah, thank you, Steve. It's always it's great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks. You can follow Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find Veritas Catholic Network there, too. Excellency, before you go, would you please give us your blessing? Sure, absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord in his great kindness grant you his peace. And may he bless you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Excellency. Thank you. See you next week, Steve. See ya. All the best. Thanks.